This is Toastcaster, your communication, leadership, and learning lab with your host, Greg Gazin. Episode 107, Talk on Water, a new book with our guest, Stephanie Scotty. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of Toastcaster. We have an exciting guest today, Stephanie Scotty. She's from Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and she's the founder and director of Professionally Speaking Consulting, LLC, a communications consulting agency focused on executive communication success. This includes providing training and mentorship to ensure they develop the skills to deliver high-impact presentations with the confidence, credibility, and conviction that engages an audience and delivers results. Stephanie received her bachelor's degree from James Madison University and earned her MA in Organizational Communications and Business from Florida State University. She launched her career as a public information officer for what was the largest Federal Speakers Bureau in the United States. At the age of only 22, she was already working with key policymakers, including the President's Cabinet, preparing them to speak on energy policy. Since those early years, Stephanie has coached thousands of high-level decision-makers in a wide variety of local, national, and international organizations. She's considered an expert in communications and public speaking. She's also on the Speaker Selection Committee for TEDx Raleigh. She's a contributing author for online publications such as Smart Brief on Leadership and the Huffington Post. And finally, hot off the press is her new book, Talk on Water, Attaining the Mindset for Powerhouse Presentations. Stephanie Scotty, welcome to Toastcaster. Oh, thank you so much, Greg. My pleasure to be here. Congratulations on your new book. And I know we've been trying to connect for a couple of weeks as you're scurrying around the United States on your book tour. Yes, it's been exciting times and it's being well received. So I am absolutely thrilled and humbled at the same time. I'm so glad to hear. Now, interestingly enough, people will find this when they read on through the book that unlike many of us who shook at our knees as adults, you began your public speaking journey really early in life. Tell us about that. Yes. I traveled from the time I was four days old <laughs> to the introduction of high school. My, I grew up in the Army as an Army brat. And as a result, I didn't have time to take dance classes or piano lessons or art classes like my peers may have been able to that weren't constantly on the move. So when I moved to Virginia spent my high school years in Hampton, Virginia, it was the first time I had a chance to take an elective. And the elective I chose was public speaking. I had a wonderful, wonderful teacher, Mrs. Griffith. And believe it or not, that public speaking class was the first time that I ever stood up in front of people to do any kind of a performance. At that moment, in terms of one of the presentations that I gave, the audience just felt like they were drawing in so close to me. I felt so connected to them. And then when it was all over, simply a three-minute talk, there was this spontaneous applause, the first time it ever happened in the class. And when that happened, I felt so connected to everybody in the room. That moment launched my career working in the area of communications and public speaking. Absolutely loved it. So it goes back to when I was 15 years old, and the first thing I started doing was coaching my peers, getting them ready for speech competitions. Wow. I've been doing it a long time. Out of curiosity, your book, Talk on Water, of course, that has interesting connotations. Does the origin of the name have anything to do with that journey? 
Absolutely. In fact, it has to do with that, both with what my father taught me growing up and that moment in Mrs. Griffith's public speaking class. Because my dad always taught me never to compare yourself to anyone else, to always be the best you possible. Because there were always going to be people who were talented in different areas from you and people that weren't as talented. So he said, you know what? If you always bring your best self to the table, that's all we can expect of you. So you add that to that experience in Mrs. Griffith's class. And I started to realize that, you know, embracing your gifts and expressing your individuality, you can almost feel invincible in those moments. Like you could you know, walk on water, but in this case, it was talk on water. It's just the confidence that comes in believing in who you are and that in the message you have to share. Most of us are going underwater. It's like, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your sister? I mean, that's the kind of thing that many of us are probably used to. Now, who is the book for and and why did you write it? Well, I'll start with why I wrote it, if that's okay, Greg. Sure. Because it really is a legacy to my dad. Oh, sweet. My dad passed away, and he left me a legacy, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for him. So I wanted to take everything that I learned through the years and with his support and put it down in one place. So that's how the book got written, um, as a legacy to my dad. And you know, I wrote it primarily for business leaders because that's who my target audience is. I work with business leaders because they all have an end game. There's something specific they want to do or have to accomplish. And I want to work with them to help them do that. So it's geared towards business leaders. But what I have found uh, through writing the book and with people now reading the book is that professional speakers are enjoying it very much and getting walking away with valuable information. Um, people that are just starting to think about speaking or having to do it part of their job as they enter the workforce are finding it fulfilling. So it's really, I think, from what others are telling me, there are valuable tips throughout the book that appeals to a wide variety of individuals and that the mindset piece of it is the one that tends to resonate with them most immediately. I agree wholeheartedly. In fact, I am going to ask you about mindset in a moment, but one of the things I wanted to mention, I'm starting to understand a little more now about the way the book is formatted and structured because you've reminded us of your dad. And when Mm -hmm. I was looking at the book, now I've read a lot of books on speaking and presenting, and in fact, I wrote one myself. What I found is that the format itself, the way it's laid out is actually quite refreshing. Most public speaking books or presentation books, all of a sudden you get this laundry list. This is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you don't do. Oh, by all means, make sure you do this, but don't do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas reading through your book, it feels like, okay, I have a presentation to do. I have a bunch of questions and now I'm going to sit down with my coach or maybe sit down with my dad. It, it almost feels like a coaching session. Now, was that your intention? You know, that's interesting. That wasn't necessarily my intention, but you are, are reflecting how I work with people because that's kind of the approach I take. It's not that we're looking for what people are doing wrong or I want to give them a laundry list of what to do right or what to avoid. I just want them to be present to themselves, recognize what they have to share, and let's talk about how to share it, how to communicate it. Even before you start thinking about getting someone to write a single word of that speech, you sort of have mm-hmm. this mental gymnastics with them. And you start with that mindset or what you call the talk on water mindset. So this is where I want to hear about that. 
Okay. Yeah, that really is where I started because I want to understand what, what people are thinking about and I want to help them recognize what they have to bring to the table. Because especially in business, when you're asked to do something, when you're asked to give a talk, whether it's a status report at, for a project, whether it's going after the next big piece of business, whether it's you know speaking at a product launch or an industry event, every time you step up to speak, it's high stakes in my book. Because you know what? You're taking up people's time. And people's time is expensive, and you need to make sure they walk away with something that they find valuable. And I truly believe that. I believe when companies bring employees together for a town hall meeting, that's costing them a lot of money in terms of resources and and labor hours and coordination. So when you bring people together, you want to make sure you take advantage of that opportunity and really connect with them and give them something that's valuable. And that's where I start with people. Absolutely, because chances are that 98% of the people that are sitting in front of you probably have their cell phones with them. I have to share with you, two weeks ago, I was presenting to a strategic advisory firm in D.C., and I was invited into the first half of their meeting to hear their people present, their internal people. I have got to tell you, they were so focused on what they were saying and had honed it that it felt like a fireside chat with all the employees, that do you know for three hours nobody looked at a device? Wow, that's rare. <laughs> they were totally engaged because those leaders, of, and I had not coached them, this is just who they are, and they were seasoned people, really cared about what they were saying and were really speaking to the people in the audience. So that kind of connection makes a difference. This leads nicely into my next question. Now, you talked about connecting with your audience, but in your book, you also talk about not only connecting with your audience as being important, but connecting with yourself yeah. and your message, which is sometimes something that we never really think about. Mm-hmm. I think it's critically important. You know, you need to connect. Your message and yourself goes ignored so much. Again, if we think about a business environment, so many times people are given little to no notice to have to make a presentation. You know, maybe somebody is sick and all of a sudden you're hit at a deck and you've got 20 minutes to prepare for it. Or maybe two days before you were told you have an important talk that you have to develop. And in some ways, I think people go on overdrive and they just start cutting and pasting to get a a task done. Mm -hmm. And the task is, I got to write this talk and I got to get through it. I just have to get through it. One of the mindsets I talk about is not just getting through it, but your goal is to really help your audience get it, that they get what you're saying. And in order to do that, you have to really connect with your message and find a way to share that content that it resonates with you, that it makes sense to you, that it's in your language. And then you have to connect with yourself in terms of recognizing what you have to bring to the table and how are you going to make it happen. And when you meet those two pieces, when you connect with yourself, recognizing what you bring to the table, why you were asked to do this and the value you're adding, and you connect with your message, that means, you know what, you know it, and you know the parts of it that this audience really wants to know and needs to know. When you have those two pieces down, then you can connect with your audience. And you're just having a conversation. You're not questioning yourself because you're already confident in those other two elements. I'm trying to put a finger on connecting with myself. What, what does that look like? 
he was a couple of different things. And I can tell you a short story. It's kind of funny that um, I share in the book, but there was one of my clients, Barbara, and I had worked with her several times before. And I happened to be in her office doing some training. And she said, you know, would you help me prep for tonight? I said, sure. So we took out about a half hour before lunch and we prepped and she was doing really well. And I said, Barbara, let's take a lunch break, come back together. We'll make sure you have it nailed. Great. So after lunch, she came back and all of a sudden, she like made a 180. Everything she did right, she was now doing wrong. And I said to her, Barbara, what's going on? What did you do at lunch? She said, oh, I went to get a new pair of shoes. How do you like them? I said, they're gorgeous. Please go change them. All of a sudden, what Barbara had done to herself is she had introduced a new element. And she was more focused on whether or not she was going to be comfortable in these shoes, whether she could maneuver the environment, you know, whether she wasn't going to trip and fall versus connecting with her message and herself. As soon as she went back to her other pair of shoes, she was right there with us. So part of connecting with yourself is making sure you are fully comfortable in the environment you're in, the room you're in, what you have on, what you're being asked to do. Take those few minutes thoughtfully to figure out how can I bring my best self forward and not be distracted. So that's just one small story to give an example. And that story is in the book. I'm actually thinking of myself as the gadget guy. A lesson learned long time ago was to not get a new piece of technology just before a big presentation. Oh, isn't that the truth? <laughs> yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, keeping on the coaching theme, you talk about in your book a presentation profile, and it's along the lines of what kind of hat you need to wear, what role that you need to play and what our persona will be as a presenter. <laughs> I'm hoping that you won't mind being compared to Malcolm Gladwell, but I was thinking, when I was reading the book, I was thinking about the, tipping, the book The Tipping Point. In the book yes. where Malcolm Gladwell, he defines the three archetypes or symbols of people. He talks about the mavens, the connectors, and the salespeople. In your mm -hmm. book, in terms of the role or the hat you want to wear, you talk about the expert, the interpreter, and the catalyst. So I'm assuming that those are all three different types when most people say, well, I'm just a presenter. I'll write what I have to write and deliver what I think needs to be delivered. Yes. And first of all, I'm honored to be compared to Malcolm. So thank you so much for doing that. But it's, a, it's the same kind of a thought. And again, it goes back to business leaders. I was working with a, a, a new CFO and he was putting together his first talk for corporate and he wanted to learn to talk like Ted. And so I was working with him on Ted-like skills. And all of a sudden, he got a call, and he said, we don't want you to interpret anything. All we want you to do is report the numbers. That's all we want. Mind meld. What's in your head, give to us. We're good. And at that point, I'd had this theory, you know, rumbling around in my brain for a while, and all of a sudden, it became crystal clear. If business leaders could understand the role they're being asked to play, it might actually make developing those talks easier for them. In David's case, he was being asked to be an expert. And an expert is defined as somebody that has content to share, so knows their purpose is to inform their audience. And you'll know this from Toastmasters. All good Toastmasters will know this. He was there strictly to inform his audience, but had no investment in terms of what they did with that content. He was simply sharing it with them, his purpose to inform his goal for them to understand the content. That's the expert. 
And this is a continuum, and one is not better than another. And in fact, people can slide up and down the continuum depending on their purpose and the particular event they're speaking at. As you grow the continuum, as you move along the continuum, the next one is the interpreter. And the interpreter is the person who's there to influence their audience, who has a call to action that needs them to take a specific action as a result of their talk. And I refer to them as the interpreter because they're taking content, they're taking data, and they're interpreting it for their audience. They're giving it the spin that's needed in order for them to take the action that's required. And to me, the the epitome of an interpreter, if we give a, mat- a metaphor for it, would be that middle-level manager who has to take the information from the shop floor and interpret it for senior executive-level management to make decisions or take the strategy that's shared from above and interpret it for the shop floor so they know on a practical level what to do, right? And that's what the interpreter does. Makes sense. The one on the far right hand of the continuum is the catalyst. And that is absolutely the disruptor. (laughs) Their whole goal is to disrupt the status quo. And in that, they may find some arrows in their back or people may be very excited. But they have such a vision of what could be, they can't help themselves. They have to communicate it. And on a business level, an example, at least in my lifetime of that person, would be the Steve Jobs. You know, the minute he talked about those songs in your pocket, absolutely, he changed the world, right? The smartphone, the iPhone, changed the world. How we look at things, how we operate. He disrupted our lives in a way that we all value now. So that's the catalyst. And many business leaders believe they're supposed to be a catalyst. But not necessarily. You've got to go back to your purpose. And that will guide where you are on that presentation profiling continuum. I think that these categories can also be used in just in general leadership roles, not necessarily in presentations. Tell me more about that. What were you thinking there? I'd love to hear about that. Depending on the department that you're in, depending on the project that you're working on, you might need mm-hmm. someone leading a team that's an expert. You might need someone leading a team that's an interpreter, and you might need someone leading a team who's a catalyst. And I'm also thinking that primarily, my guess is that people would probably be better at one of the three. And I'm kind of wondering, I'm thinking how difficult it might be. I mean, can you imagine someone who's an expert or, you know, some of them are kind of like real know-it-alls, mm-hmm. them just being an interpreter? I just, I just can't see that working. <laughs> I can see that being difficult for them. Well, it's interesting. This model is actually being used at a, at UN, a University of North Carolina Business School. I collaborated with a professor there in designing an assessment tool that goes along with it. And how they introduce it there is that if your career is just starting, you're probably being asked to be an expert when you're asked to speak. But if you start to move up you know, the chain of command and as you go into management, One of the quantum leaps, and I find this happens most frequently at about the director level, is that you have to start becoming more of an interpreter because your job is more to influence people. So there is some correlation at times to where you are in the organization and how you're growing it. But the premise of the presentation profiling is that the expert are the basic skills. You have to have these skills no matter where you are in the continuum. But as you move into interpreter and catalyst, you add additional skills to that. 
So for an example, as an interpreter, in addition to your public speaking skills, you may need other good communication skills that you just start getting buy-in. You start getting people's input as you're crafting your message. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. I'm also thinking about writing and a lot of the writing that I've done over the you know, 20, 30 years of in technology is you start writing as being an expert, knowledgeable on this, on this subject. You start being an interpreter, taking the technology and explaining it, taking the more complicated, complex concepts and then explaining it to the masses and then being an analyst, maybe offering an opinion, offering some suggestions of trying to create change. So I can see that these three categories, expert, interpreter, catalyst, can be used in many different places. I love that example. Thank you, Greg. That's great. And I, and I love that the, the whole concept creates conversation. Wow. <laughs> I never expected this to go that way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I hope it's okay. <laughs> no, it's great. You, you, can, uh, you can use this in the book update, second edition. Okay. Yes, because that's, that's a great example. And I work with a lot of people in IT, and that is exactly what happens. One of the things my editor had told me before, because I, I had actually done some writing for a few years for a local newspaper, and the whole idea was to take the the complex some of the complex topics, especially in the early days of technology when computers were just first starting. Mm-hmm. Not everyone had it. And the gauge was my dad. My dad was really not really that interested in technology. He was probably more interested mm-hmm. in his later years in fishing. If I explained something to him that made sense, then obviously I was able to communicate that across. Well, if I can add to that, you know, when I'm working with business leaders, because I don't have a particular vertical, the one thing they all have in common is it's high stakes. But I tell them, if I can get it, anybody can get it. Yeah, there you go. You know, because I I don't have your expertise. So now it's a matter of delivering it appropriate to your audience. But if I can get it, you know your audience is going to get it. And that's your job, to make sure they get it. I said to my doctor one day, because he's always asking me about the iPhone and things, and he says, oh, yeah, I'm really dumb when it comes to technology. And I said, yeah, I'm pretty dumb when it comes to surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. (laughs) That's great. I understand you have a presentation code. Tell us a little bit about that. One of the things I find people really struggle with is when they're asked to give a talk is that they think what they're supposed to do is go over to an existing PowerPoint deck and start cutting and pasting. And what happens is that they come up with a hodgepodge. <laughs> you know, there might be a lot of content in there, but there isn't a storyline. You know, there might be a lot of data, but there are no transitions. And so the whole idea of code was to give people a way of thinking about how to, how to start writing their talk, how to craft their message. And that's where code came from. And it's built on a basic premise that content drives delivery. Many people focus on the delivery skills, but I say, you know what? If you craft a message that you believe in, then delivery is a piece of cake. That will come. And so code really starts out by focusing on your messaging. C stands for clarity of your messaging. O stands for how you're going to organize it, how you're going to talk about it. D stands for developing any audiovisual aids that will allow you to say more with less. And E is how are you going to express yourself and engage the audience? In the section where you talk about code, you talk about your core message versus your topic. First of all, maybe if you can explain, first of all, what the difference is and which one comes first. Mm-hmm. What comes first is topic. And topic is just what you're being asked to talk on. So if you're being asked to talk on books, or if you're being asked to talk on public speaking, or if you're being asked to talk on 
the latest piece of technology that's being introduced to the marketplace. That is just a topic. It's, it's wide open, it's broad, and your job is to look at that topic and say, hmm, given this topic and given this audience, what do people absolutely need to know? And so your job as a speaker is instead of going for this breath that people won't walk away with anything, to start narrowing down what you're going to talk about and how you're going to talk about it. That makes sense because sometimes we can be in two different scenarios. One, we have way too much information and we need to find a way of culling it in. Or we have this broad topic and we go, okay, well, I'm not really sure what to say. Mm -hmm. And that's when people go and start cutting and pasting. Now, in your book, what I really like is that you actually have a table, and the table has some sample core messages, and you have one, two, three, four, five columns. One, it starts with audience, topic, content, profile, and core message. Perhaps give us an example that you want to share with us as to how that would work. Sure. One of my favorite ones is actually the first one that's on that book, and it's with the audience is bankers striving for a healthier lifestyle. That's, that's who's actually sitting listening to the talk. And who was asked to give this talk, just to give a, a little bit of background, was a holistic nutritionist that lives in New York. And so she was asked to speak to these bankers who were striving for a healthier lifestyle. It was a retreat they were having, an off-site. And specifically, the topic they asked her to speak on was nutrition and weight loss. Okay, that was pretty broad. I mean, it was within her expertise, but it's still pretty broad. So she started to talk to them to get a little bit of input so she would find out what would really resonate with them. And what she found out is that they wanted to know how food impacts your weight. How are those two things related? So she's basically asking to be an expert. She wasn't trying to get them to take a specific action. She just wanted to inform them in a way that they could easily relate to it. And so her core message, and let me just step back and and say what a core message is. A core message is one simple sentence that is the essence of your entire talk. If people don't remember anything else, this is what you want them to remember. For your listeners who love TED Talks, you'll hear it. that's, That's your one big idea. And so in her case, her core message, what she wanted them to remember is everything you eat affects your bottom line which I thought was really clever given it was bankers, but (laughs) everything you eat impacts your bottom line or affects your bottom line. So a great takeaway message that speaks directly to nutrition. That's the process you go through is you, you look at who your audience is, the topic you've been given. You do some research to understand a little bit more about your audience, figure out your profile and develop your core message. Now, do you tell people what the core message is or is it up to them to figure it out? Because quite often when you hear presentations, that core message, it's not necessarily evident or it's not necessarily, you know, written there in black and white or just blurted out. Yeah. So as a coach, I find the most difficult thing for people to do is to distill their core message. And it's the people that take the time to do that that have the strongest talk and reach the desired outcome because that's your measure of success. And it's not a linear process, although the book talks about it as if it is a linear process, it's not. And it's an iterative process. So if you kind of, this is what I think I want to do, but as you craft your message, you're probably going to go back and hone that, that core message. 
So it's sort of living. It's almost like I'm thinking, looking at the table, and it's, it's greatly laid out because it has a box. It has a column for each one, but then each one has an individual box. And I'm thinking that you probably start off writing it down in a linear fashion, but as you move mm-hmm. through it, you might find at the end that your core message isn't necessarily what you thought it was going to be. However, it does yield the results that you wanted or yields the results that were expected. Absolutely. Beautifully said. That's what happened. I'm actually just staring at it right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And these are all true examples of people that I've worked with and the core messages that they came up with. I like that one. I also like the sales and marketing team. So that's the audience. The The topic is working together to achieve sales goals. The content mm-hmm. as what has worked, ways to extend momentum. The profile is interpreter and the core message is we're stronger together. Right. They worked, yeah, they each worked in their silo and just kind of passed things off. And what they realized or what this, what this director realized is they started working together. They could, in fact, move the ball forward more effectively. And so he wanted them to know we're stronger together. And what the talk was about was all the different ways we could work together. So that simple sentence drove the content. Well, oh, this is fascinating. Excellent. Now, of course, this is one I'm sure that a lot of us are always also interested in delivery. Any thoughts in terms of delivery? The one thing that I, my clients tend to almost breathe after they hear is that it's not about perfection, it's about connection. And if you can just be who you are and connect with people like you do at a cocktail party or having dinner conversation, they will be very forgiving for you. The key to that is to really let them know you care about them. Spend time thinking about that message, thinking about how they can understand the message easily, and commit yourself to helping them get it. Don't make them work to figure it out. And in that, they'll forgive a lot of sins. Now, when I work with folks, what I'm doing is I'm looking for disruptors versus connections. I'm first going to look, where, where do you connect? How do you connect with people? And everybody does it in a different way, and that's the beauty of it. And then I'm going to look for things that might break that connection. And they can be the simplest things. Maybe they're verbal fillers like your ums, your nos, or your so's. If that's the case, if I'm counting those instead of listening to you, we've got a problem. So let's talk about how to manage that. Or last week I was working with a pitch team, and there was um, one of the speakers on the team, and he was so credible, likable, relatable, smart, but he talked so fast, it was like he was trying to fit 10 pounds in a five-pound bag. What was actually happening is his pace was interfering or starting to erode his credibility. He was coming off as being this boundless enthusiast versus this credible business leader. And so we just had to get him to slow down. So his credibility would zoom and the interference would, would diminish. Sometimes you find people zooming because they have way too much information. They go, oh, I've only got 10 minutes and I've got to rush through all of this to make sure that you get yeah. all that you paid for. Right. And that's what happens a lot with an expert. Experts actually tell me that they're afraid if they don't share everything they know, they're afraid they will be accused of not being transparent or of holding back. Really? Mm-hmm. But the reality is, as you just said, we've only got so much real estate in our head. So, you know, we've got to make sure that we give people enough that they have what they need, not only just enough, but the right stuff, and not so much that they have to sort through and do triage to figure out what's relevant. (laughs) Triage. I love that word. 
As an expert, obviously you have a lot to share with us. Not that we need to do triage, but of course we, mm-hmm. we know that this conversation does have to come to an end at some time. Mm-hmm. Perhaps you can share with the audience maybe one presentation tip, one thing that you found was really valuable for your, for your audience and for your clients. Absolutely. I call it transform the room. And what I recommend for anybody who's speaking, and I don't care if it's a a conference room down the hall or a new venue at a hotel, what I strongly recommend people do is arrive at that room early and just walk the room. Just walk around it. And as you walk, if there's something that feels out of place for you or something that doesn't work for you, shift it if you can. But your whole goal in walking that room is to transform it into your favorite room in your house. I think of it as my living room or my TV room. And then as people come in, if you have the opportunity, and this is even for if you're giving a pitch, this can happen. Greet people. Shake their hand. So you've already touched a couple people in your audience. But when you mentally transform that room, what happens is all of a sudden you're not welcoming strangers. You're not speaking to strangers. Just like when you welcome somebody into your house, you're welcoming guests. And they may think they're in the local conference room that they've been in a hundred times you know, down the hall. But in fact, in your mind, they're in your home. And these are your guests. And your job is to be hospitable and share with them information that they can easily understand. And it just shifts everything. Those nerves start to diminish. Because now you, you are actually in control of the situation because you're on familiar territory. You feel like you're home. You feel like you're speaking with family and friends. Exactly. Stephanie, tell us, please, where people can find the book and also where they can get a hold of you. Wonderful. Happy to. So Talk on Water, Attaining the Mindset for Powerhouse Presentations, can be, it's available through all bookstores. It's available at Barnes & Noble online. It's available through Amazon online. Amazon, you can also get it in the Kindle version. The book is a hardback version, so folks that like to hold something in their hand, it's a great, it's a nice weight. It's, a, it's not a heavy book, but it's a nice light book for reading, and it's a great e-read too. So any of those locations, Amazon, though, has the e-version as well as the hardback version. But the way it's set up on Kindle, too, is they can share the Kindle for free. And you can always find me at professionallyspeaking.net is the website. And I welcome hearing from any of your listeners, Greg. If you're looking for Talk on Water, if you're looking for, I hope you don't mind me calling it a coaching session in a box or in a book, <laughs> contact Stephanie Scotty. Stephanie, it's been very enlightening and an absolute pleasure. Thanks for your time today and all the best with your new book. Thank you, Greg. It's, it's an honor. I appreciate the opportunity to share. Once again, this is Greg Gazin. We appreciate you tuning in. Now, I'm not sure how you joined us, whether you joined us through directly through Toastcaster.com or iTunes, but either way, you can pick up the podcasts there. If you really enjoyed the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you took a moment to leave us some feedback on iTunes because it really helps 
with our ratings. Plus, also feel free to drop us a line. Tell us what types of things you're interested in, what your Toastmasters specialty is, or what kinds of things you like to speak about. And perhaps maybe we'll even have you on the show. This is Greg Gazin. Till the next time. This episode was sponsored by Corey Outsmarts the Butterflies, a new book by Greg Gazin, geared to ages 8 to 80. Whether you want to improve your speaking skills or build your confidence, this short read is suitable for all ages. It's available at outsmartingthebutterflies.com. <laughs>